ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Scottish Clans. I'm Clint. Thank you for joining me. It has been a little bit. I this is life is getting crazy these days, and I've got a lot on my plate, and so I get to the podcast when I can do it. So hopefully I don't lose a ton of people. But if I do, I'm still putting out content and hopefully I'll have a core of faithful adherents that'll that'll hang in there and and keep dialed into when a new podcast pops up. But I'm doing my best, but this is about the time I've got these days. Alright, so in keeping with the kind of the theme from the last podcast, which was about the Brown Seer, this time we're gonna be talking about another um another topic that's in the realm of clan folklore and we're going to be talking about the fairy flag of the mcclouds now often when the clouds are when the mcclouds are discussed they are discussed in terms of their two branches shield tormid and shield torkel shield tormid is the branch that is mcleod of mcleod or otherwise known as the mcclouds of Harrison Dunvegan. Now I know McLeod of McLeod, that's a more of maybe a title reserved for the chief and not the whole kindred, but you get what I'm going at. There's there's two different main branches, and so that's Shield Tormid, the other Shield Torkel, which is the McLeods of Lewis. So all of the different because there's actually quite a few different branches of McLeods, similar to the McDonald's or the Campbells, um, but all of them can be grouped under one of those two main groups, Shield Tormid or Shield Torkel. And there, e- even there you can see something interesting, which is the Gallic term, one of many Gallic terms for something that has, that has to do with the descendants of. So in that case, it's Shield, you have Canale, Sliacht. Um, there's, there's different Gallic terms for this. It's a lot more developed, and it's one reason why I don't think we should get too wrapped around the axle about which English term we're using whether is it a sept, is it a branch, is it a you know, is it clan, is it a clan, or because it's not in a Gaelic speaking part of Scotland, it's not a clan, and all that stuff. I I don't get too bogged down and lose a lot of sleep over those terms because there's a lot of different terms used in Gaelic, and depending on where you are and what time period, they were more or less specific and meant certain things. But anyway, so those are the two branches of the McLeods, and the fairy flag pertains to both of them. All right, so I'm going to get into, before I get too far into this, I'm going to give a quick shout out to my sponsor, USA Kilts. I just watched one of their videos today, when do you wear a kilt belt and when do you not wear a kilt belt? So if any of you ever wondered that question, go on their, on their YouTube channel, USA Kilts and Celtic Traditions, check them out. They've got a ton of other useful videos like that that'll help us out as well as stuff about Scottish history and culture and all that stuff. And then you can also, if you want to, if you're in the market for something, anything Celtic themed, but specifically Scottish, go on over to usakilts.com. And they've got some great products, great ser- customer service, good quality, uh, free shipping in the U.S. It's awesome. Go over and check them out. All right. So... Usually I start off by talking about sources. I think that's an important thing to get going with. So there's a couple of, they're not contemporary works, but they are, and I'll include the links to these in the show notes. I have notes on the relics preserved in Dunvegan Castle, Sky, and the heraldry of the family of MacLeod of MacLeod by Fred T. MacLeod. 
So that's one, and I'll um, provide a link to that. The next source that I have referred to for information about this subject is the uh, it's a it, you can get this in a PDF off of the archive.org site, which I've actually used the heck out of for the sources on this podcast. But it's titled "The McLeods of Dunvegan." It's by R.C. McLeod. It was published in 1927. So no, it's not a contemporary. Um, document, but it's hard to find those, really hard to find those. Um, another thing that is a little bit earlier in date, gets us a little bit closer, although it's still still a little while later. A little while later. Um, it's written by a person named Thomas Pennant. He is published in 1772, and it's called A Tour in Scotland and Voyage to the Hebrides. And then as well as I also use historic-uk.org, and I use the Wikipedia article on the fairy flag. So if you're looking for more information, and the Wikipedia article on this was huge, and it had a ton of sources, and that's actually what I used to help find some of my um, better sources, because you know some people have kind of a little bit, little bit of a hang up with Wikipedia. It's good for what it's for. All right, so um, there's my, my sources. Let me tell you a little bit about what it actually was. So the description of it is that it was it's made of silk. It's it's some sources say yellow, some say brown. It's about 18 inches square, and it has little elf spots on it, which were I don't. It's just that I, I believe that it said they were red or brown spots on it, and that all depends on the various stages of it when it was looked at. And anyway, um, it's one of three McLeod relics. The others two being the Dunvegan cup and the and Rory Moore's horn drinking horn and that's exa exactly what it looks like it looks like a bull's horn that's cut off hollowed out made into a drinking vessel all right where did the mcleods get the fairy flag i'll tell you where it came from the different origin legends and then i'll actually tell you what it's supposed to do it's, it's supposed to have magical qualities so the uh this flag that i've just described to you where did it come from? An, a more academic view. And by academic, I don't mean scholarly. I just mean non-folklorish. Uh, what's a possible legitimate source where they could have got this? Well, it is made of silk, and so some think it comes from the Far East. Maybe it came from the Middle East during the Crusades. The Scots were involved in the Crusades, and it could have come home with them. Also, it, some people think maybe it had Viking origins. And when it comes to that, and this, I never read this anywhere, but I do know that there's the, the Viking trade network spanned quite a large geographical distance. And so even from the Vikings, it could have come from the near or far east and eventually ended up in the Hebrides off the west coast of Scotland. Quite a journey. Anyway, wherever it came from, some people think Vikings. Now, as far as if you ask Maybe one of the Shanhees, the the old storytellers, uh, those responsible for keeping the lore and the history and the stories of the clan. The, uh, the you might hear something more along the lines that it was a gift from the fairies to an infant chieftain, or that it was a gift to a chief from a departing fairy lover, or that it was a reward for defeating an evil spirit. So, and I'll let you guys jump into if you're interested more in the. Origins of the fairy flag, I think I've given you enough information on the sources that I've used. You can pursue that a little bit farther. 
but I want to get into what the properties of the fairy flag were. Here's I'm just going to list, go down several, several properties that it's supposed to have. All right. It's supposed to have the ability to multiply a clan's military forces. It's supposed to have the ability to save the lives of certain clan folk. It's supposed to have the ability to cure a plague on cattle. The ability also to increase the chances of fertility. And the ability to bring herring into the loch at Dunvegan, just in case fishing's poor. And then some traditions relate that if the flag were to be unfurled and waved more than three times, it would either vanish or lose its powers forever. Now, I think that's worded a little bit weird because I kind of use exactly the the wording that I that I saw. That that makes it sound like if you wave it in the air more than three times. I, and I believe just from the broad section of reading that I've done on this, that it's not if you wave it in the air more than three times. It's that if it's pulled out and employed by waving it to save the day, on more than three occasions, it will lose... Um, It'll lose its power. Now, here's the problem, and that is I just listed to you way more than three things it could be used for. And how do we know that it works in those cases unless there were stories of it being used to cure infertility, to cure a plague on cattle, to save the lives of clan, lives of, the lives of clan folk, to multiply a clan's military sources. That's way more than three times that it could have been used to that we could have seen the flag have those kind of properties. And and I'm and you can tell that the way I'm talking, I'm just I'm going with it. All right, let's pretend it can do all those things that it, that it's supposed to be able to do. That's way more than three times. Now, if we want to maybe try to play along a little bit more, we can say, well, well, that's referring to when the clan as a whole is in dire straits and you pull it out and you wave it in the air to save it on a kind of a grand scale maybe that's more of what it's talking about those smaller occasions don't really count toward the three times maybe i don't know i didn't um yeah i didn't yeah I mean, you, you may have noticed those of you who have listened to this podcast before really a lot of these podcasts are the main value in these episodes the main value is to get the conversation started not to give you an exhausted or an exhaustive um, information dump on any one given topic. So maybe maybe I'm giving you enough to maybe spark some questions in your own mind. Maybe I've given you enough places to look at sources. And if you're interested, then you can pursue this a little bit farther. Um, now, the flag, the fairy flag, had hereditary keepers. Thomas Pennant, in his manuscript, um, he said that the kindred, that was a given responsibility to keep the flag, their name was Clan Efater. A different manuscript comes from 1800, says that Clan Tormod, this, the, the, that the kindred's name that was responsible for keeping the flag was Clan Tormod Vigvirki, and that only the eldest of the kindred could unfurl it, and they possessed their land in Brockadale for free for their services. Now, this kindred, Clan Tormod Vigvirki, that's, so, it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of confusing here, and then once again, I'm coming from this, the same manuscript that I had that previous information. It says that they're coming from the, uh, the shield Torkil. Because that's interesting, because it was kept at Dunvegan Castle, which is the stronghold of the MacLeods of Harris and Dunvegan, right? So it's a different branch, yet the 
yet the keepers of it, according to this document, descend from Shiltorkil, which is the MacLeods of Lewis. Now, there are occasions when these two clans are very friendly with each other and work together. However, often they were at odds with each other and competitive, and there was enmity between them. So I just think it's it's very interesting that the kindred said to be in charge of the flag is from the MacLeods of Lewis, while the flag was actually kept by the MacLeods of Harrison Dunvegan. Now, in battle, the way there's a certain way that there's a certain posture around the flag as far as who was guarding it. Now, you have from this, this I will call them the Keeper Kindred, because we have two different names from them in different sources. The Keeper Kindred, you'd have 12 of them who would stand in front of the flag, and then in front of them would be the Chief of the McClouds. So he was always someplace very close to the flag. All right, now I'm going to relate to you. Now, remember we talked about like the little... Smaller, more personal occasions that the flag could be used to help. And then there's the big grand scale occasions. Oh, one thing I also want to throw out there, and I didn't have this in my notes, but I did read it, was that pilots during World War II would actually carry a picture of the flag with them in flight to bring them luck. So that's that's kind of really interesting and very modern, very modern. So, so that's, I don't know, I think that's pretty cool. Now, let me... So for the next part, I'm going, to, I'm going to describe two grand events that we have for the um, unfurling of the fairy flag. Now, before I get into the first one, which is the Battle of Bloody Bay, I'm going to give my sponsor a little bit more of a shout out here. So the USA, the USA Kilts, the company, we got, we got Rocky and Eric. They're the faces that you'll see on the YouTube videos. I, I really enjoy their information that they put out on the YouTube videos. As a kilt wearer myself, um, I have found that they do a very good job of responding to listener questions or viewer questions and or just anticipating what the question is going to be when you're wearing a kilt. So, And oftentimes if it's a listener question, they'll read the question and then they'll respond to it. And in doing so, they've, they've produced a ton of really – pertinent content for those guys, those of us who are in the business of wearing a kilt. So go and check them out. And it's not just kilt stuff. It's broader Scottish culture, heritage, history. Go check them out on YouTube. They have a lot of good content on there. And their YouTube handle is USA Kilts and Kilter Traditions. The storefronts USAKilts.com. They've got, I, I love my kilt that I got from them. They, I love wearing it on I, two, two specific events I like wearing it for. One's for f like more formal type stuff, but the other is for hiking. I love hiking in my kilt. I love it. I look forward to hiking more because I know I'm going to wear my kilt while I hike. And it's a USA Kilts kilt. So I love the product. I love the quality of the product. I've got a few of the other accessories that you wear with a kilt that came with it. Their customer service and acquiring the kilt was awesome. And they, they took really good care of me. In, in fact, they even noticed that my measurements seemed like their measurements. Like you said, you're only 5'9", yet your measurement's this, which is usually the measurement for a 6-foot-plus guy. They called me up about it and made sure they got it right. Anyway, just a really good attention to detail and taking care of the customers. Free shipping in the USA. So go check them out. All right, I'm just going to... 
on this episode, I've decided just to kind of keep things short to only read one of the battles that we that we have the fairy flag unfurled during. This battle was known as the Battle of Bloody Bay. And for the account of this, I'm just going to read it straight off the Wikipedia article. I'm going to, we're going to do the Battle of Bloody Bay here, and then I'm going to split this, and I'm going to do another episode, and I'm going to relate to you the other time the fairy flag was unfurled on a big grand scale, and that'll be the Battle of Glendale. So, and for this, for the Battle of Bloody Bay, like I said, I'm going to read off the Wikipedia article, and then next time, I will be reading from the the McClouds of Dunvegan, which is one of the sources that I had mentioned at the beginning of this episode. All right, so for some background on the Battle of Bloody Bay, in 1476, James III of Scotland was informed of a secret treaty made by John of Isla with Edward IV of England. James stripped John of his earldom, as well as the sheriffdoms of Nairn and Inverness, and the lordships of Kintyre and Napdale, but confirmed him with the remainder of his lands and the title Lord of the Isles. The designation of Lord of the Isles, however, was from this point forward to be granted by the crown rather than self-assumed. And John had lost much more than land and titles. He had lost prestige and standing amongst his own kin. The lordship had always depended on territorial expansion to give life to its warrior values, but now that it was contracting, all the Latin tensions came forth, finding expression in the person of Angus Og. Angus according to Hugh MacDonald, ejected John both from the leadership of the clan and from his own home, forcing him to seek shelter under an old boat. Now, one thing that that didn't tell you right there, and it's about to tell you in the next paragraph, but it should have told you right there because it would mean more, is that Angus Og is John, the Lord of the Isles' son. All right. John gathered his remaining supporters in an attempt to quash his son's rebellion. John's fleet of galleys met those of Angus sometime in the early 1480s off the coast of Mole to the northwest of the present town of Tobermory, an area after ever afterwards to be known as Bloody Bay. The battle. John MacDonald of Isla was supported by men from the Clan MacLean, Clan MacLeod, and Clan MacNeil. I'm going to pause real quick right there. All of those clans have tons of different branches. Well, not tons, but different branches. And it doesn't, this, this narrative here doesn't do a good job of specifying who's on which side. It is relevant. It's going to be relevant, especially for the McLeods here in a second. But um, we'll get to that. Okay. He, John MacDonald of Isla, was opposed by his son, Angus Og MacDonald, who was supported by Alan McRory, chief of the Mac of Clan MacDonald of Clan Ranald, Donald Gallach, chief of the Clan MacDonald of Slate, and Donald McInnes, chief of the Clan MacDonald of Kepic, as well as the MacLeods of Lewis. In bitter fighting, Angus defeated the galleys of his father's West Highland allies. Now, so let's go back and let's let's see what happened right there. So the winner of the Battle of Bloody Bay was Angus Og, the son. And we see that the McLeods of Lewis had been on his side. So earlier when it says Clan McLeod decided with John MacDonald of Isla, that was the McLeods of Harrison Dunvegan, the keepers of the, the fairy flag. All right, I'm going to continue reading. The Bannatine manuscript states that William Dew, chief of the MacLeods, was killed early on, and at the fall of their chief, the MacLeods began to give, give way. So this is those on the side of John MacDonald of Isla. However, 
A priest named Colum Cleric made the keeper of the fairy flag unfurl his banner. The manuscript states that when the MacLeod's kinsmen, the MacLeod's of Lewis, switched sides upon seeing the sacred flag unfurled and joined the forces supporting John, however, the fate of the battle was already decided and the forces of Angus won the day. A large number of the clan was killed during the conflict, including the bearer of the flag, Mercha Bech, as well as the twelve men who were tasked with the flag's protection. Hector Ower MacLean, the chief of Clan MacLean, and Nick Martin's naval commander was taken prisoner. William Dew MacLeod, chief of Clan MacLeod, was killed along with many of his clan. The aftermath is that Angus Og MacDonald took over power from his father and held it for a decade until he was murdered. However, many clansmen died and nearly half the clan's fleet had been sunk. Angus himself would be murdered ten years later. As a result of Bloody Bay and other reverses, the power of the Lords of the Isles would henceforth be greatly diminished. All right, back to the topic of the fairy flag, though. Okay, so at first it doesn't look like the fairy flag did the MacLeods much good because they lost. But let's go back to one of the things it said it would do. It would, according to one of the claims, multiply a clan's military forces. So did that happen? So you have the clan, you have the Shield, Shield Tormid, the MacLeods of Harrison Dunvegan who fight, are fighting for John MacDonald of Isla. And they unfurl the flag and wave it. Did their military forces multiply? Yes, because you have all the MacLeods of Lewis fighting for Angus Og on the other side who see the fairy flag waving. Can you imagine how powerful that emblem is to these people that it would make them just in the middle of a fight switch? First of all, I can't even imagine, like, they're on the other side of the fight, are your own kinsmen. And I know this happens all the time in history, that one branch is fighting another, and family feuds, and I know I know that's a, that's a thing in history. But the McLeods of Harrison Dunvegan wave the flag, McLeods of Lewis switch sides right in the heat of the battle. So even though they switched over to the losing side, the power of the fairy flag to multiply McLeod forces actually worked. So they grew, and I don't know, what the, it doesn't ever say what the numbers were on each side. And so is this like a doubling of the forces? I, I can't tell that, but definitely, definitely the fairy flag waved and the McLeod forces multiplied. So there you have it. All right, that's all I'm going to cover for this episode. Um, I hope you guys have enjoyed this. Keep in mind, there's still a, another um, element left to this story, and I'm going to do it next time with the Battle of Glendale, which I'm going to read from the my PDF version of the McLeods of Dunvegan. So join me for that. Join me for the next time the fairy flag was unfurled and waved in behalf of the McLeods, not one branch or the other, just in behalf of the McLeods, and we'll see what happens then. And keep in mind also that leaves one more major time that they can bring the fairy flag, wave it, and hopefully it'll save the day. So I hope you have enjoyed this and join me next time for that element of the story. And until then, Marshan Levendrasta. Rasta.